Today we have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Kristen Anker, who was the assistant director of a Montessori school and is now a Montessori school consultant. She's also a parent empowerment coach, and if that isn't enough, a mom of three children. You're going to hear Kristen's views on bringing students up with independence from a very young age, focusing on positive reinforcement in all areas of our lives, being your children's best advocate, but also seeing your child as a person in her own right. And Kristen is also going to be showing us how we can look for educational environments, either in school or creating one at home, that relates to a child as a whole person. I think you're going to be so interested in this talk that you're going to ask for a second session, which is exactly what I did at the end. So please enjoy my chat with Kristen and let's get right into it. So tell me about yourself, Kristen. So I, um, right now, I am a Montessori school <gasps> consultant, Montessori school consultant, okay. and a parent empowerment coach. Okay. So I'm multi-passionate. I want to help teachers and parents. But um, yes, yeah, so that's uh, my role right now. And I'm a mom, so I have a 14-year-old daughter, an 11-year-old daughter, and an 8-year-old son. Are they in Montessori? They are not. Were they in Montessori in preschool? Yes. Okay, so there are a lot of questions I have for you. I studied a lot of Waldorf. I have not studied a lot of Montessori. And I know that Waldorf really started in middle school and then worked its way down and then worked its way back up to high school. So I guess one of the questions is, does Montessori only in preschool? No, no. Okay. So that's, um, oh, I love that you are Waldorf because I love Waldorf as well. Okay. I discovered Waldorf after I had my second child. Interesting. Um, so we'll have to talk about that too. So Montessori started with preschool. It started with three to six-year-olds. That is Dr. Maria Montessori's Casa dei Bambini started off in um, that age group. And then um, it grew from preschool and the school that I'm working with right now goes up to eighth grade. Wow. And then I just heard of a Montessori high school starting in Ohio. So there are Montessori high schools that is rare, um, but there's a there's a Montessori school not far from us here that also goes to eighth grade. So that's a that's a gem to find that middle school program, which is beautiful. Um, and I, I believe the middle school program it really started after Maria Montessori passed away, um, but they just grew the philosophy into the middle school and high school too. Okay. And you were a director at a Montessori school. Is that right? I was an assistant head of school. Okay. Yep. So can you tell me about that? Yeah, sure. So I started off as a three to six teacher. So I started off in the early childhood. I'm credentialed with Northeast Montessori Institute and I loved it. So it was after I got my master's of elementary education, I discovered Montessori. So it's interesting because even in all my education in college, um, I didn't hear about Montessori. So it was really um, kind of interesting. So I got my first job out of um, grad school in a Montessori program and they, they sent me for training. And so I worked in the classroom for about five years. 
And then I became the director of that preschool kindergarten program. So I helped to, you know, hire the teachers and train and, and work with the parents. Um, and then a few years after that, I switched uh, schools and I became an assistant head of school. And that school had a, a middle school. So it was ages three up to eighth grade. Okay, so let me go back a little bit because I'm really interested in the crossover between your training as a teacher and then as a Montessori specialist. What was the crossover? Mm -hmm. Because just so just to give you a little bit of an addendum, um, in Waldorf, from what I understand, I'm not a Waldorf teacher, but I've, um, the Waldorf training is very, very specific, and you wouldn't get that in a normal preschool education. So what is the crossover for Montessori? Yes. Yeah, so after I got my master's, I then it was, a, it was about a two year program to be trained in Montessori. And it is very extensive. I had to create these albums. And at that point, we were like handwriting the albums. Um, and then the crossover between what you would have learned in your master's and what the Montessori training specifically gave you, what was the big difference with what you'll find in a I can't say traditional, but in a non-Montessori or Waldorf school. Oh, it's it's pretty intensive. It's a completely different philosophy of teaching. So one, you're trained how to use the materials. Everybody talks about the Montessori materials. Um, and the materials were created to work with the child's senses. Um, Dr. Maria Montessori studied, observed human behavior and then worked under two uh, two educators, Jean Etard and Edouard Seguin, and they both worked with um, mentally, at that point they were calling that, well, special needs, okay. special needs kids. So they created these materials. It was actually the story is um, the wild child of Averyan. It was this, girl that was raised by wolves. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard of her. But I didn't know she had to do anything to do with Montessori. It, it, it's one of those uh, educators, either Etard either or um, Seguin, Jean Etard or Edward Seguin, one of them worked with her and created these materials. Really? And then okay. Ma Maria Montessori worked with those two to create a lot of her math materials and her sensorial materials. So there's like four main curriculum areas in a Montessori. And I'll maybe talk to the three to six, that preschool kindergarten age. It's um, practical life, which is teaching practical life skills and how to teach the children to be independent and really to use their fine motor skills. Right. So it's the concentration, the coordination, the independence, and this sense of order. So, uh, Dr. Moran, Maria Montessori believed in these sensitive periods. And like I said, she was a, a scientist and she studied humans. So she knew that children went through a sensitive period for language. So the language curriculum is really vast and beautiful and, and really working with natural and real pictures, real, um, you wanna see the photographs and not just the cartoon characters. So in a Montessori school, you would find those um the it's it was really with the um actual um hands-on materials that the children would use okay so let me if you don't mind kristen let me just go back a little bit here because i had understood there are certain cases of children who were raised in the wild and didn't have speech when they were found and from what i understand is they could never get that speech back and you are talking about developmental ages and so i'm wondering 
if the case is that she did get her speech back and she could learn to a, to a certain extent using what Montessori finally designed in her schools. It's, it, it's possible because she, um, as one of the first female physicians of Italy, she she kind of got the worst of the worst jobs. So because she was a woman and one of her first jobs that then they called him in an insane asylum. So it was all children and adults. And she was working with the children who were deemed uneducable. So she was observing these kids and like one little child was just kind of um, playing with the crumbs on their plate. And the doctor that was talking to Dr. Montessori was like, oh, see, these children can't do anything. And she goes, no, she just needs something to do. It was a very, you know, stark environment. So that's where she was like, wait a minute. And then she created her materials, studying under Itard and Seguin, and created her Casa dei Bambini. And it was then that these children that were uneducable were actually achieving better than some of the other students. And she, she really believed in this prepared environment and allowing the child to work to their interest and to make cho to have choice and to really develop this concentration. Um, so, yeah, it's very possible. But I, I think with that case, and that wasn't Dr. Montessori that worked with the wild girl, um, I, I don't know about the language piece. That's interesting. Okay, we can find that out. But I still want to, let's get some more specifics here. I believe in Montessori, there's a lot of exploration. So the classrooms are set up so that the, the children are explorers. Is that right? Yeah, you could you could call it that. The environment is prepared by the teacher. And as I said, I went through almost two years of education just to be trained in using these materials. So there's the different curriculum areas set up in the classroom, the language areas all together, and the math and the sensorial and the practical life and science and geography. They're all in their own little areas. And then the teachers painstakingly um, set the materials up from most simple to most complex so that the child can go into the classroom and do the work. Of course, a, ch a teacher is you know, watching the children and they're looking at that child's interest and then choosing some materials that would, you know. Challenge them a bit more. Like luring them in to these lessons. And then they do get these one-on-one -on -one lessons and group lessons. but. Technically, Maria Montessori believed that the child could teach themselves. Okay, so what is the difference then, Christian, between learning centers that many teachers have in their classrooms in preschool and a Montessori classroom set up for exploration? Yeah, so it's it really looks very different. So that's whenever I talk with parents, I always tell them to go and observe. Go into the preschools and observe. Because um, even all Montessori schools could look a little different too, of course. If you were to go into a Montessori classroom, you would see this um, buzz of energy. And children all pretty, they're all doing different things, but they're all engaged in what they're doing. And you might not even look around and like not be able to find the teacher because the teacher is not 
the main center of the classroom, the teachers on the ground with the kids doing the lessons too. And maybe you'll see like similar to a Waldorf uh, classroom, you might see the teacher sweeping and teaching the child how to do a sweeping exercise, or um, maybe she's teaching another child how to tie their shoe. So they're, they're in it with them. They're the role models. And so that's what you'll see. You'll see children engaged and it's, child-led it's not teacher-led so when you talk about centers in like a traditional preschool the teacher chose that lesson maybe they're studying apples and they're all going to be doing this at the same time whereas in a montessori classroom the teacher might do a lesson on apples uh, do maybe do it with the whole group and say okay we're going to have this apple washing work um, over in the practical life area. I'm gonna show everybody how to do it. And then she shows them, it might be a one-on-one -on -one lesson or a group. And then this is where it is on the shelf. If you choose to do it, you can do it yourself. So a lot of the work is individual and um, the, the teacher will bring them into small groups because the difference with a Montessori classroom too, of course, is the age groups. So it's three to six year olds all together in the same classroom, six to nine year olds all together in the same classroom. And with that, it's this community feel, this community feel. And I have three children. You, you, you're, you're able to be the oldest, the middle and the youngest. And there's so much um, quality to that, right? Yes. The, old, the oldest children. And I just love that three to six age group too, because that six year old, they feel so proud of themselves when they can teach a three-year-old how to do a lesson. And the teachers will do that too. They sometimes, some classrooms, some schools that I've worked at call them the elders. Oh, well, why don't, if, if a three-year-old will come and ask the teacher a question, the teacher might say, you know what, why don't you go find one of the elders to give you that lesson? So the teacher will even use some of the older kids as, as teachers. And I just think it's, it's so powerful for that child to build that confidence and, um, and that community feel. A, a Montessori preschool is so different than a traditional preschool in many ways. All right. And what you're saying is exactly what I like to promote also. We don't want to promote the content necessarily. What we want to promote are those skills that these students need when they leave the classroom. And right, so that they feel right. empowered and they feel confident and they have verbal skills and they, they have leadership skills. And then, mm. and so, but I do want to go back. I, let's just say a parent has a three-year-old. Four and five-year-olds, there's a huge difference. I've never been a, a preschool teacher. I've been a primary, secondary, university, and private school teacher. I've gone into hundreds of preschool classrooms. And I give examples about what preschool students can do. And they all, and they always, parents and teachers always say, but... The three-year-olds, and I get uh. stumped. I get stumped because by the end of the year, three-year-olds can do it. But in the beginning of the year, you have a parent who comes to the door with their three-year-old. What does that student do to become independent, to learn the routines in a Montessori classroom? Well, and that's the thing too, a lot of, um, and speaking to that three-year-old parent, a lot of that year is teaching the parent too. Interesting. So okay. the teacher you know, will watch, and, and I just was at a school the other day and they actually had a toddler program. So if you have those preschool teachers saying, well, a three-year-old, I would love for them to observe a Montessori toddler program. Wow, okay. 
two-year-olds are doing things that, you know, <laughs> these other kids can't do. So it's amazing. But um, first, we would probably say to that parent, too, like, you know, your child can walk all by themselves. So many parents will sometimes be carrying their kids. And in Montessori, we're trying to teach this independence. So that might be the first step of you can hold your child's hand and walk them into the school. You don't need to carry them. And we, we have to do a lot of education, um, even before, like when you're doing admissions. Most Montessori schools are private. There are a few public Montessori schools, but um, you're, there's a lot of education there of like, if you're signing on to this, you also need to maybe make some changes at home even. And these are our goals. Our goal is to really help the child to be independent, to be their own being. They're that three to six um, age group, they're becoming, you know how important the brain development is from birth to age seven. So these are like prime, prime years for them to build this concentration and their beliefs of who they are. And, and that I think it's the confidence and the self-worth that can really come out. Um, for these three-year-olds and these teachers going, really? And it's just this also as the teacher if the teacher can have faith that yes they can do it and they're going to make a mistake and they're going to make a mess and then they're going to try again and they're going to make a mistake and they're going to make a mess and then you're going to teach them how to clean up that mess so it's just like that's more of it in a montessori classroom is the teacher before the teacher puts out an easel with paint the first the teacher is going to teach the children how to clean the easel so that's the lesson first. It's like, first we're gonna learn how to clean the easel. And then you just have easel cleaning for the first two weeks. And then they'll introduce the red paint and the children will just play with the red paint, but then they're gonna clean the easel for the next friend. So it's, um, it's, it's a process, but that's where I think practical life and um, these life skills are needed to be taught in preschool and children can do it. Children can peel a carrot, they can cut an apple, they can do all these things when given the the opportunity. opportunity and, and that trust, the parent, the adult trusting the child. Okay, so then I have a question for you because I find this very easy to accept about the teaching a three-year-old and even younger independence. But it's also because I'm American. Culturally, it's very easy for me to accept that. Montessori is Ita was Italian, but she was from Northern Italy. Is that correct? I'm pretty sure. I'm not, let's see, Shia Ravel, Italy. Wherever Shia Ravel, Italy is. Okay, the reason... No, sorry. The reason why I, I, I'm specific about Northern Italy is because there's a huge difference between Northern and Southern. And the Mediterranean, I mean, I'm now in Spain, I'm in the Mediterranean life culture, and there's mm -hmm. a huge emphasis on not being independent. So there's a huge different, there's mm -hmm. a huge stress on depending on people. And so I'm wondering if the Montessori philosophy is consistent throughout all cultures, wherever it's taught in the world. That is an interesting question and i would love to um to research that a little bit i know that there are many montessori schools in china um and i, I know that there's montessori all around the world but i want that's really interesting culturally how different does it look and even like i said before a montessori school in i'm in connecticut in the united states it's gonna look different in Connecticut than it might look in Texas or in California, depending on the culture. And a lot is teacher dependent too. You know, it's the teacher getting taught 
trained in Montessori, but then allowing her own spin. So within Montessori too, there's AMS, American Montessori Society, mm-hmm. and then AMI, which is Association Montessori International. So that AMS is here, and there's AMI schools here too, but possibly there's more AMI schools in other parts of the world. That's probably the difference. Okay, so you were talking about the teacher really focusing first on end products, which in the case of preschool is cleaning up and making a space available for the next person who's coming in, which is very, I just don't know if you realize that that is not cross-cultural. That's not what Mm. students are taught all over the world. And so I find it to be fascinating. But what I'm trying to get at is that what is the, what are the students taught? When, when you say the parents need to be trained, what do they need to know about what happens in the classroom once they leave their three-year-old, for instance? Mm -hmm. So within each age range, so there's the three-year-old and, and as I said before, it goes up to eighth grade. So it's all dependent, but I'm, um, more knowledgeable about the three to six program. Um, After that, and and they really would love for the child to stay for that full three-year cycle. So that's also important in a lot of Montessori schools to stay for that three-year cycle, to have that full um, experience. Um, Because after a child is, you know, graduating or leaving Montessori, they are just, they, they know so much. So the math curriculum, for example, like a three-year-old, by the end of the three-year-old year, they might be introduced to a little bit of you know, the numbers and it's more that one-to-one correspondence. So it's not just the rote counting, it's really understanding that one, two, like at, using objects and all the different materials. Um, but then, that four-year-old child is gonna be introduced to addition and multiplication, but using these beautiful beads and materials, all hands-on. So it's it's not, it is academic, but the it's not strictly academic. We're more doing this whole child approach to, to teach the whole child. It's organic. It's very organic. And like I said before too, their interests. So a four-year-old might be really interested in, you know, say dinosaurs. And so the teacher will see that and then maybe she'll get 10 dinosaurs and have him count using the dinosaurs or something like that. That would be an example of using the child's interest. Um, but then that five and six-year-old, you know, then the geography curriculum, they're, they're learning about the world and there's, there's so much within a Montessori curriculum what they're gonna learn. But it is going to be different depending on the child and the child's um, abilities and interests. But yes, after a you know three-year cycle, that child will one be confident, two have social skills. So there's a lot of social emotional learning skills. It's called grace and courtesy in a Montessori classroom. But they're learning social conflict, like how to deal with conflict, how to speak, and how to listen. I mean, they're taught so much through the teaching and the teachers will sometimes role model these social conflicts. With the language, they're first taught the sounds. And so that's a very uh, Montessori thing too. They have these sandpaper letters. And so the child will feel, and I'm just tracing an A with my fingers right now, the the child will feel with sandpaper um, the letter A 
and they'll, the teacher will say, this is a, this is a, not this is a. So the child is taught the sound first because that's how you're, you're reading, you read the sounds. Um, some Montessori schools even uh, teach cursive first. They do cursive writing. And um, so, so much too is um, based on the development of the child and the teachers know like they're really working on this pincer grip. So practical life is the work that a lot of a, three, a three-year-old will spend a lot of time in practical life, a lot of time in practical life. And then because they're working their muscles to build for writing. So everything has an indirect aim and a direct aim. Um, but so much is just building on the next. And the, the curriculum is vast. I mean, I ha I, my, one of my first years teaching, and it is hard for a teacher. And, and for me being new to Montessori my first year, I had a three-year-old who was, you know, basically still in diapers. And then I had this six-year-old boy from Japan who was a genius. And he was just on the easel writing his own multiplication problems. And we would just be like, oh my gosh. So as a teacher, you're like, you have a baby and then you have this little genius too. So the, the children are just, they're all their own unique beings too. So you, you work the curriculum around each individual child. Okay, so so many questions, so many questions. Um, one is, as a teacher, you have a student who is really gifted. It can be very threatening for a teacher if, the, if she or he is not really prepared or if he or she feels a bit um, intimidated by that genius, let's just say. How can, it, how can a teacher confront her own fears about it and be yeah. really proactive. I, I have an example with that because I'm I'm literally imagining like 25 years ago, my first year of teaching, I that's what I had. And it was scary because I was still going through my training while I was this first year teacher. And um and I did I had these five and six year old kids who one of them was full on reading. Like he was one of those kids reading chapter books in kindergarten. And I was like, oh, my, what am I going to do with this one? He doesn't need it. But, it. but that's where I think the role of the teacher and the parent working together as a team, as I remember talking to that mom and going, let's call him Grant. Like, oh, Grant is a reader. And she was like, Kristen, we know. He's amazing at reading, but he needs to work on his social skills. We would love for him to like be able to make friends. And I was like, great, that's what we're working on. I don't need to worry about his reading, but I will. He needed practical life. He he couldn't write. He could read, but he couldn't write. So, so here's this kindergarten. And that's where I'm glad that the mom was She's like, we're not worried about his academics. Obviously, he's fine. We want him to build other things. So I think that teacher-parent relationship is so important. And unfortunately, and that's a lot of like the work that I do now with schools, um, for some reason, teachers don't want to talk to the parents. <laughs> and um, it's hard. Some do. I take that back. Some do. And I was one that I loved working with the parents. But um, some are intimidated by the parents when really they should work together as a team. Well, they say that in the best experience, the best case scenarios for a school is when the, 
the administration, the teachers and the parents all work together. And sure. most of us as teachers have the experience that the most supportive parents we rarely see and the most yeah. um, the, the parents who are filled with their own insecurities are the ones we usually see because they need someone to blame for anything in their lives. And that's unfortunate. So that's what you see. But one thing you're saying is um, a lot of parents with gifted children and teachers who have gifted children forget that, first of all, social skills are so important for them, and that's what mm -hmm. they can push. And the other thing is they need to be pushed into gently, obviously, pushed into developing those skills that aren't their real strengths. Yeah. So there's a yeah. lot of room to work with them, right? There really, really is. There really is. And before you had said something, and I just want to not correct you, but I just don't want to say the wrong thing. You had talked about the end product. But the other thing that is kind of opposite of that is it's all the process. It's the process, not the product. And that's what we kind of always said. Um, this process, you know, for example, if they were to be doing a painting work and they painted this picture, the child is more in and at that age is just in the moment of the, the painting and they don't maybe necessarily care about the product so it was all the process um and i think sometimes that was hard for some of the parents of like well where's all the work that they did and i'm like well it was practical life. They did. Pra so sometimes we would take pictures of the child. And that's, I think, one of the schools I'm working at now, they do that very well. And they're taking pictures of the kids throughout the day. And of course, they get permission to do that. And then they'll they'll send some of the pictures to the parents. So the parents can see like, oh, wow, look at what they did. Because sometimes they'll be in doing something. And then the end product will look so different. But there was like, masterpieces happening in the moment so it's this process and um that's in the important part too what they're learning in the process okay so i'm so glad that you made that distinction and just so you understand where i'm going with i usually i work a lot in project-based learning and project-based learning what I, I i have to encourage the teachers to find out what the end result is and that's why i kind of use that term what is the end result mm -hmm. you want what do you want them to learn and by that i mean all the objectives the social objectives the cognitive, the emotional objectives, everything. Mm -hmm. So from what I'm understanding you're saying is the cleanup at the very end of whatever they're doing is very important. It's the social aspect. It's respecting mm -hmm. the environment. And so community. It, yes. the community. Mm -hmm. So if that is in my terms, not in yours, if my, my pro term is the end product is the cleanup and that's where you begin, would I be correct in the Montessori philosophy? Many, yes, okay. many times, yes. Um, for example, in practical life, they're gonna they're gonna teach them how to pour. Pouring is very. Um, it's the children love pouring water, but before they would teach them how to pour water, first they might teach them how to pour beans, and then move to the water. But before they would introduce water, they would teach them how to use a sponge and clean up, you know, the little okay. water spills with the sponge. Yeah. And everything's a lesson. I remember when I did my training and we did have to write out all these lessons, I had to write a lesson of how to tie a shoe because that's part of practical life. We're going to teach the children how to tie their shoes. And if you think about all the steps needed with your dominant hand, take this and with your subdominant hand, just so it's it's very precise the teachers are trained and i remember after i did my got my certification i felt like i was like a scientist i'm like i'm not a teacher i'm a scientist because 
we just we, you you know so much about the, the that what are the direct aims and what are the indirect aims of each material and then where can the child go and that's that's the possibility that's endless and i even did have like some like we said some gifted children and that's where if you had a school that did have the first to third grade or that fourth to sixth grade we would borrow materials from the elementary classrooms for some of these kids who needed it so what you probably want parents to know whether what's happening in the classroom with their children is that they're getting a whole spectrum of opportunities to develop their skills and not just cognitively. Would that be correct? Correct, yeah, it's this whole child approach. We're following the child and we're teaching the whole child. Okay, and then the other aspect of that is, and I know, I'm pretty sure I know what you're gonna say to this, but I need to present it anyway. Um, I live in the east coast of Spain, where it's all over Spain. I don't need to even be specific about where I am. Very traditional teaching on the, on the, um, in the whole, and that's why I have so much work, because I'm trying to help them reconsider their decisions. Um, mm. There is a Montessori school, interestingly enough, in the middle of nowhere, there's a Montessori school. And I was speaking with some parents and they're sent, they sent their son to this Montessori school. And at first he went to a traditional, these are, this is, a, the mother is, I think, Danish and the father is American and they wanted a little something different. And the first, at three years old, he went to a Spanish school and at Spanish schools at three years old, they have books, which it dry, you know, I want to pull my hair out. Um, they want the kids to learn numbers, to write, to read as soon as possible. And the, the father was very proud because his three-year-old could count to 10 and, and write his name and that sort of thing. So he goes to the Montessori school and he comes home and he, he doesn't count to 10 on command. And he doesn't write his name whenever his father asks him to. And I said, but does he come home smiling? And his father said, yes, he's really happy. He's happy when he goes in and he's happy when he leaves. But he's not counting and he's not reading. And I said, but he is smiling. So that is my question, not in the form of the question. How would you respond to that? Yes, and that is tricky because I know those parents and I've talked to those parents. And that's where this education comes into of educating the parent. Um, and the importance of, oh, it's so hard because we want, you know. Product. <laughs> and to then like, put a child on the spot of like, count to 10 and do this. It's like, oh. But um, for us in Montessori with the math curriculum in particular, like we are so focused on learn, like really just the whole body is understanding that this is one unit. This is a 10 bar. This is 100 square. This is 1000. Like that three-year-old probably is also carrying around this beautiful thousand, golden cube going, wow, this is 1,000? Not more, most preschools have that. And then um, the teacher knows this three-year-old needs to be you know, doing other things too, not just the academics of the reading and the writing and the arithmetic. Um, so I think with Montessori, I know, and I know teachers are so well-trained, that reading comes in after the child is feeling the confidence and after they, they know all their sounds. And it's, yeah, it's a, that's a tricky one to answer. And I'm just imagining some of the parents that I've had that 
you know, they say that too. And, and it's tricky because sometimes, like for example, I'm consulting at a school right now in the Boston area, Boston, Massachusetts. And they're in a very, they're right outside the city in Newton, Massachusetts. And there's a lot of very smart adults that send their children to this Montessori school. And they're probably paying a lot of money to send their children to this Montessori school. So they expect things. And so the school has also, as this school in particular, done some things to address the culture of their area. And so those kindergarten students, maybe another school wouldn't do this, but they do have some special writing workshops and language workshops. And because they're, they're a little bit, you know, working with the parent population that they have, but they're also seeing this is the trend, you know, culturally, like in America, we want our children reading and, and writing and it's getting earlier and earlier. So they did make some shifts in their curriculum to have some of these um, extended activities for that kindergarten age. But still that three and four year old age, oh my gosh, it's so sacred to, to really allow the child just these experiences and all different experiences because coming home and just having the numbers and the letters and it's like, oh gosh, but did you, did you see that child holding the globe? And did you see that child pouring water? Or um, one of the, the classrooms I worked at when we would have a guest visitor and sometimes it was a parent observing and, Sometimes it was a teacher observing. We taught our five-year-olds how to serve them tea and how to offer them a, a snack. So this adult is sitting here and a five-year-old comes over and would you like some tea and pours the hot water like, but they were taught from three to four to five and then the teacher trusts them to pour hot water because they know how to do it now. So I think that's pretty impressive, more impressive than knowing one to 10. Without anything, without a context. I think what you're saying is, and you probably know this, it's not, you're, you're not using the term effective domain and yet you're explaining it completely. And if we create this a learning environment in which the effective domain is really strong, the stress goes down, the limbic system is really happy, information yeah. goes in, and eventually everything the parent wants to impress you know, their neighbors is going to come out of this, but more organically out of the children. It's organic. Yeah. It's organic. And then in a Montessori program, when the three-year-olds are watching the five and six-year-olds, they're learning so much by watching their older friends. And sometimes a teacher will say, oh, okay, that's, that's for a five or that's for after you have this lesson. So there, it, there are, there are some schools that are pretty strict in some ways. And there are some schools that are different. That's where they all look different. But some Montessori schools will say, oh no, you, you may put that away. You have to have a lesson with that first. So there's, there's a lot of structure to the freedom. So it's freedom within responsibilities. So that's really important, Kristen. I'm probably going to ask you to come back and circle back to that. But there's also another really important point here. Montessori schools are expensive. We can't deny that, right? Ha but there are studies that show that you can counteract a disruptive home in the school. And in the same way, you can use school elements in the home. What yes. could parents do who aren't financially able right now to afford a Montessori mm -hmm. school for their children 
to counterbalance what's happening in the school, the public schools, for instance, of their choice? What could they yes. include yeah. at home? Oh, I love this question because that's what I'm working on right Excellent. now. With one of my colleagues. All right. And then we're going to make sure we give all your information so they can find you. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we have that right now. We're, we're doing, how do we uh, teach Montessori in the home? And that was actually one of my first businesses when I stopped working full-time in the Montessori schools and I started consulting. I called my business Montessori in the home. Um, and because I wanted to teach parents how they can set their homes up to allow this independence. And so much can happen in the kitchen. So um, what I have to to tell you that my husband and his sister are both Montessori kids. So they went to Montessori in the 70s. And when I was going through my training, my mother-in-law, who wasn't my mother-in-law at the time, but my boyfriend's mom, she was so excited for me. And she was like, oh my gosh, Kristen, those Montessori teachers saved me. She said, they helped me so much because I didn't know what I was doing. And I had this three-year-old and this five-year-old and you know, everything was going. So they taught her like, so instead of, and I, I let my children watch TV, but this is just an example. Instead of, okay, mommy's cooking dinner. You go watch TV while I'm cooking. The Montessori school said, how about you open up one of your cupboards in the kitchen and it's for Jennifer and Walter. You open up the cupboard and it's for your kids. And then they put, that's where the pots and pans and all the things that children can play with are in that cupboard. And so that's what she did. And so instead of them watching TV, they were doing with with her too, or playing with the real kitchen materials. And um, so one of the things that I teach parents is starting with these, you know, entryway of like, well, how can you set up your home so that maybe the hook is lower so the child can hang up their own jacket? Um, have a place. It's a place for everything and everything in its place. Like. Where, do, where should they put their shoes? Have a little spot in their bedroom. Less is more too. So, and I'm saying this and I'm, a, I have too much stuff in my kit, our, our drawers, but if we, if the kid can maybe have five pairs of pants and five shirts, then you put a little picture of these are your pants. These are your shirts. These are the underwear. So the child can do that for themselves setting up the bathroom do you have a little step stool so they can stand up in a low mirror so they can see so many houses are not set up for children and there's a it's a no house no don't touch this no don't do that i help parents to create this like yes house of like well you're you know this is even in the kitchen these are the snacks for you guys you're welcome to have these healthy snacks whenever you want um, if you want the other snacks, those are up high and I, you'll have to ask me. So little things like that where you can set it up so the child can prepare their own snack. The child can make their own breakfast. So there's a lot of things you can do in the home. I think too, and I learned this the hard way after having my third child, children, they thrive with routines, consistent routines. So having a morning routine. This is what we do. That's kind of a Waldorf thing too, right? Like, and this is what we do. And we do this and we do that. And then it's this rhythm, this rhythm and this routine. Um, and I think that's very helpful. Um, in Montessori schools, we have ground rules and it could be as simple as be kind, be safe, be responsible. So at home, what are the ground rules in the home? 
and, and, and helping, and I'm also a positive discipline facilitator, a certified positive discipline facilitator, and we do that at home. Like, what are our family rules? Um, having a family meeting, allowing your child to have a say in some things. So there's so much that can be taught at home and reading. Oh my gosh, all the time. You're just, that's the most important. You don't need to teach your child how to read. You just need to read to your child. <laughs> you know, read and, and go to the library and get great books and have them watch you read too. So something that we had to do during the pandemic because there was like no uh, rhythm and routine and it was just, everything was off. We kind of like made a reading hour. And we're like, okay, from this hour to this, we're all reading. And I'm like, so at least that's getting done because everything was so out of control. But what if everyone just stopped and read, even the mom and the dad and everybody, like that would be amazing. Um, but it's just this connection, the connection that you can have with your children and encouragement. You know, children need encouragement like a plant needs water. So how you can use these words of encouragement instead of praise. Um, I think just the whole language piece is huge in a Montessori um, environment. My my kids went to a Montessori-based school, but it actually wasn't like 100% Montessori. Um, I always say it was the school that Maria Montessori probably would create in the in the in the 20th century. Um, they it was the language that the teachers used, and that's what sold me on the school. The way that they spoke to their children, the way they got down to the child's level, um, and you listen. You you you're in you're you're allowing the child this this t moment in time of of that connection. And I think that's so important for parents just to, to really connect with their kids, read with their kids and to have some fun experiences. Like right now we're, we got about a month and a half left of school. And I'm just thinking about, okay, what they don't get in school. Cause my children are now in a public school. Um, what are some experiences we can take the kids? You know, we're near the ocean. We're going to do a whale watch. Like all those real experiences are so important. I think for parents. Well, there's so many things, my goodness, Chris, and we could speak for hours on this. Um, but we, we need to sort of bring it down just because I don't want to take up too much of your time, but there's so many important uh, elements that you were just talking about and, one of them are, are family meetings, because in positive reinforcement, I give workshops only on positive reinforcement that you would think is logical. And yet if we're taught but through in a no environment that you're wrong, mm -hmm. that there are things that you can do wrong and that no is a word that you hear so often, it's hard to make that switch. And yet it's so important. And in preschool, you can have class meetings. And as you say, it's simply to let the, the kids know that they can be listened to, that they have a voice. And even yeah. if it's a bit off topic, then you say, thank you so much for sharing and ask them the question again. Mm. And what I really like also about your practice, about helping parents create a Montessori-like environment in the, at the home, is I believe having independence is the base helping mm -hmm. thinking of in any way you can help your child be independent which again is might be controversial in cultures where independence is not a priority 
Yeah, that's interesting that you said that because that's that's an interesting cultural piece for yeah. sure. But there are, I mean, here in Spain, I have one person I know very well. She takes care of my dog. And um, she wants to send her daughter to a Montessori school. Her daughter is now four years old, but she can't afford it. And so she does a lot of research and wants to know what she can do at the home. And so she does. She, she reads a lot. And what you're saying is there are very, there are positive things. And there are a lot of things that parents can do to create a Montessori-like environment. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I, I am blessed with... Um, and you said you're familiar with Waldorf. When we moved to the town that we live in now, there's a Waldorf school that was near us. So I brought my two um, little ones in Waldorf from age one, so when they were babies, up until about three, and then they went to Montessori. So I feel like we got the best of both worlds. And um, even just understanding what they're doing in Waldorf. So if you can create this home that is simple, too. There's simplicity there. Routine. I love the book Simplicity Parenting by Kim John Payne. And um and it is experiences. So allowing and giving the child time too. So even though she can't send her four-year-old to a Montessori school, there's so many other things that she can be doing that is very similar. But yeah, one of the schools that I'm consulting with she actually has um, a program in India and she's uh, teaching children in India Montessori. And so I'm creating the three to six program to how for those parents of how to how to bring it home and how to do some of these things at home, too. Right. Because once you teach the mother, usually the studies show that the mother will make sure that um, the family rises um, not economically necessarily, although that happens also, but just rises culturally, rises educationally, cognitively, that things just work. So what mm. you're doing is, is huge, Kristen, it's huge. Um, where Thank can, you. <laughs> no, I, you're going to have to keep me up to date with that because it seems like it's um, a very challenging project and yet you have someone in India helping you? Or excuse me, you're helping no, someone in no. India. And this is what I love about how this story has come full circle. I told you the story of how um, a five-year-old uh, would be able to serve a woman tea, uh, a, a guest tea. So this parent, this parent was that woman, and she was sitting in my classroom, and she was served tea. And so she goes, "Okay, my child is coming to this school. Like this is amazing." And she's actually from India. This this woman. And now she owns her own Montessori school in Massachusetts, not far from where we are. And I'm gonna be working with her school and she's just doing so much. So she's now a Montessori trained teacher. Her son who I had at three years old is now 26. And, um, and he's brilliant and doing amazing things. But she, and it was during the pandemic mostly of when this came up, she developed a, a relationship with a community in India and she has several, so she has an online Montessori school and a, a brick and mortar, literally, a Montessori school in Worcester, Massachusetts. Holy cow. Great program, TEC, tech school. And she too is like, what would Maria Montessori do now? these kids are right across the street from a art museum so that's where they get art because they're kind of in the basement of a church which a lot of montessori schools are in the basement of churches you know sometimes that's where they start and um so she has ages kindergarten up to eighth grade as well 
very small, about 50 students, but they're right in the city. And so they go and they have art classes at the art museum. And then they walk down the street and they um, are, you know, doing something with a bakery and learning. So it's a lot of hands-on and experiences and that's Montessori. It's like doing, and that's where they're, they're going to learn. So it's, it's not it's, even, so what you're saying, it's not even just bringing the world into the classroom, it's going out into the world and using yes. it as the classroom, right? And that's when the Montessori older kids, they are going out. It's called going out. You're going out into the world and you're doing community service and you're, and how good does that feel? Um, a Montessori uh, middle school lot is based in um, this agricultural teaching. So they're learning how to farm and they're learning all these um, different different things with um, with the earth, like how to protect the earth. It's very hands-on. Okay, so before I ask you your last question, tell us where we can find you, your your coaching business, or anything else you want to tell you and tell us. And I'm going to list anything you any links, anything you want, so people know where to find you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So you can find my website. It's kristenanker.com. So K-R-I-S-T-E-N-A-N-C-K-E-R.com is my website. And I'm on Instagram, Kristen Anchor Coaching. And you can find me on Facebook. My name is Kristen Wagner Anchor. And yes, I am right now, I'm, I'm hosting a, um, I'm facilitating an eight-week program right now called the Parent Empowerment Program. So I do a lot of work. I mentioned it. So we're going to have to talk again, Donna, all about positive discipline and parent empowerment. But I, I really empower uh, parents, mostly moms, empower moms to just build this deep connection with themselves and a deep connection with their parenting partner. So parenting partners get on the same team and with their child for a peaceful and happy home. So we kind of sometimes reparent our inner child. So that's part of the work I do too, is, you know, understanding that sometimes we don't realize what we've been you know, what's what happened to maybe in our childhood and then it comes out when we have a child and we get triggered by their tantrum or, or something. And so I, I teach parents uh, positive discipline tools and mindset strategies of how they can regulate their own emotions first and then help their children. So, um, yeah, you can go on my website and find information. And then I'm on um, Instagram. I think I'm on LinkedIn too, Kristen at Anchor. So, you can find me and I'll have to send you my, um, my information. As Please well, send too. me the information and then get ready for this, Kristen. This is my last question, yeah. which is completely unfair. I'm going to admit it right away. Um, if there's a parent listening and they want to know what is the best methodology that they could give their child, what would you say to them? What is their best opportunity for their children? Okay. So as a parent, you are the first and most influential teacher. So as a parent, I think the best investment in your child is investing in your own personal growth and development. So that's for like, the first answer is we have to become whole because we are that first teacher. They are looking to us. They are, oh my God, my 14 year old, she stares, she is watching every move I make. They are taking it all in. So first we have to work on our own personal growth and development. And then I would research. I mean, I was a little crazy. I was the crazy parent that I went to like eight different preschools and I, and I looked around, but I observed, I observed in these 
in these preschools. And like I said, I, you know, my husband was like, are you sure you want to send the kids to this school? Because it's not 100% Montessori. And I was this Montessori. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. This is what Maria Montessori would have done if she was around this time. And it's like amazing. The children's school. That's where my kids went. And, um, and, and go and observe and get that gut feeling. Get the, Have that intuition. Is this the right place for your child? But I'm definitely biased towards Montessori and Waldorf. I love the Waldorf philosophy. So those two. And then I was trained in college under Reggio Emilia approach, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, so any school that teach, teaches the, chi- the whole child, they're looking at the whole child. I think that's that's what you want to look for. And I understand. I mean, my children are in public school now because I can't afford to send them to a monastery. It's three kids in a private school. It's a lot. So I get it. It's hard. So it's, um, yeah. Is that a good enough answer for you? Donna? It's a brilliant answer. It's a brilliant answer. What you're saying is first, is it, it's at home. Second, research. It doesn't necessarily have to be a private school. There are a lot of public schools that also give, you know, that have teachers that are incredibly um, what can I say? They're incredibly um, professional and they search and they use yeah. the best skills and they have a mix of a lot of different methodologies. So it can be public as well. Mm-hmm. And yes, Kristen, we're going to have to talk again. <laughs> so. yes, I know, I know. You and I, we have to. <laughs> but I want to thank I'll you so much. Um, good. <laughs> sounds great. We can do a podcast right next to each other. <laughs> I'd love it. Oh, I'd was, love it. This was great, Donna. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. A pleasure. You have just a wealth of knowledge. And I'm really going to schedule again. And I'm sure that the parents are going to be so appreciative of all these little nuggets of the golden nuggets that you've given and us. And I think we just scratched the surface. We just scratched the surface. There's so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Kristen, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> And thank you all so much for joining me. There will be so many more interviews and so much more information for you. In the meantime, you can find me at Donna at scaffoldingmagic.com and at my webpage, scaffoldingmagic.com. Have so much fun in your classes and at home. See you soon.